governor-elect for a couple more days. Yeah. How are you? Good yeah. to, good to see you. Saying, Tom, that, uh, well, two hours ago, I'm officially out of office. I'm also, not in an office, and I'm out of the other one. How does it feel to be a civilian? Yeah, I'm just a regular civilian here for 96 <laughs> hours. So. That won't last much longer as former Congressman Tim Walls gets ready to take over as Minnesota's newest governor on Monday. Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. The last two months have been somewhat of a whirlwind for the now former Minnesota congressman navigating the state capitol, hiring staff and commissioners, and putting together his first two-year budget. This week, I spoke one-on-one -on -one with Governor-elect Walls just days before his inauguration about preparing to take office and putting together his first budget. You get sworn in as governor of Minnesota uh, Monday at noon, is that That's correct? That's right. Monday at noon. Is anybody ever really ready for a job like that? No, I don't think so. I was, you know, thinking about the address, and I went back and, and read the last 50, 60 years of uh, inaugural addresses from governors, and, uh, and everyone states that, that they're not. I think the biggest thing that comes out of that is, and it's, I'm going to state it on Monday, is that the importance of inaugural is, is uh, publicly accepting the responsibility for the job. It, it is humbling. It's an honor. Um, but accepting that responsibility because now it's no longer just talking about issues or proposals. Your job is to get it done. So no, I'm not sure you're ever really uh, ready to do it. I've always said that I never planned my life to run for office, but I think my life prepared me well to do it. I think this is the same thing. In your budget, is there likely to be any tax increases in there or targeted tax relief? Uh, at this point, I think it's too early to say that. I think both of those are possibilities. Um, again, for me, it's getting my mind wrapped around this in eight weeks. Uh, we have some uh, preliminary budgets, draft budgets that we're working on that I think a realist in me understands this, and I think people feel this happening. Uh, we've had one of the longest periods of growth in this nation's history. Um, this will slow down. Um, that's not a scary thing, it's not a gloom and doom, but it's recognizing that I would be willing to bet that the projection that came out in November is going to look different in February. And I think when we budget, we have to adjust according to the facts that are on the ground. As you'll recall, the November budget forecast a surplus of $1.5 billion, but since then the stock market has plummeted and there are signs of an economic slowdown in China that could impact the U.S. economy and Minnesota's budget outlook. Tonight at 10, we'll hear more from Governor-elect Walls on the eve of his inauguration, including his latest views on the gas tax, legalizing recreational marijuana, and the role of Minnesota's first first lady in eight years. Meanwhile, Walls has filled nearly all the commissioner positions in his administration. He introduced 15 of them this week, some of them at a dairy farm in Hastings. We want to announce these out here on a farm because each and every one of these folks truly believes in one Minnesota. It's not a slogan. It's how we will govern, by bridging gaps between urban and suburban and rural communities. State Senator Tony Lurie has been nominated to lead the Department of Human Services. There will be a special election on February 5th to fill his seat in northeast Minnesota. The Department of Natural Resources will have a new leader as well. Current Commissioner Tom Landwehr was a finalist for the job, but his assistant commissioner, Sarah Stroman, will now head up the agency that protects Minnesota's outdoors. I have a very strong passion for outdoor recreation. It's an important part of my family and how we spend our weekends together. We fish together, we hike together, we snowmobile together, and we hunt together. I am... Jan Malcolm will stay in her position as Commissioner of Department of Health. She served in the Dayton and Ventura administrations as well. 
Cynthia Bowerly and Mark Phillips will also stay on in their roles from the Dayton administration. Bowerly will continue to lead the Department of Revenue, while Phillips will stay with the Iron Range Resources and Rehabilitation Board. Also of note, current Metro Transit Police Chief John Harrington has been tapped to lead the Department of Public Safety. Former State Senator Steve Kelly will lead the Department of Commerce. And Silicon North Star's co-founder Steve Grove will lead the Department of Employment and Economic Development. The only position that has not yet been filled is a commissioner for Minnesota IT Services. That position will be announced at a later date. After eight years leading the state of Minnesota, outgoing Governor Mark Dayton says he's done with politics, but he has plenty of advice for the state's leaders on both sides of the aisle. Eric Rasmussen sat down with Dayton for one of his final interviews to talk about his biggest wins, losses, and the challenges ahead. The chance to make a difference in the lives of other people is just unparalleled as governor. Thank you very much. Thanks. Now that opportunity for Governor Mark Dayton is coming to an end. With a moving truck outside, the governor told us what he's most proud to leave behind. We have 2.8% unemployment. Uh, which is remarkably low. He called Minnesota's financial turnaround and statewide all-day kindergarten his biggest accomplishments. It's long overdue, but there are about 50,000 five-year-olds now who uh, are on the state to have an uh, opportunity to get a more advanced learning experience. Dayton cited the failed rollouts of the Minsure Health Insurance Exchange and Minlar's licensing system as his biggest frustrations. Unlike his successor, Tim Walls, he remains opposed to legalizing recreational marijuana, but not to raising the gas tax. Well, I supported the gas tax from uh, 2012. Do you think it has a chance now? Uh, it'll be a big political fight. He says he's optimistic the state's divided legislature can work together, something he had to do with former Senate President Michelle Fishbach. What did you learn from having a lieutenant governor who was a Republican? Well, I was fortunate. Uh, she's a fabulous person. We work very well together, very congenially. I mean, there's no reason why people can't respect one another, have honest but honorable disagreements, and uh, not get into the kind of uh, demonization of your political opponents is so widely practiced now. The governor said he'll now turn his attention to his health, a public concern after multiple surgeries and fainting during his state of the state in 2017. Was there ever a point you thought you wouldn't make it to the finish line of this term? Well, when I took office, uh, I was told that the, uh, the oldest person becoming governor of Minnesota and the previous oldest person died in office. Uh, I always intended to make it to the finish line. I always thought I would. And he did. That was Eric Rasmussen reporting. Governor Dayton says he plans to move into an apartment in Minneapolis for now. He officially leaves office tomorrow. And, of course, tomorrow is the day Tim Walls will be sworn in, along with Minnesota's other state constitutional officers. That inauguration ceremony takes place at 11 a.m. tomorrow at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul. We will be there tomorrow as Walls becomes Minnesota's newest governor. Watch for continuing coverage both on air and online at KSTP.com. And to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, I extend to you this gavel. In Washington, Democrats are back in charge of the House for the first time in eight years. Nancy Pelosi was re-elected House Speaker, a position she was first elected to in 2007. Democrats wasted no time Thursday passing bills to reopen the government after it shut down in late December. Senate Republicans and President Trump have said they would not consider any bills that don't have money for a southern border wall. 
Five new members of Congress are from Minnesota, Republicans Jim Hagedorn and Pete Stauber, as well as Democrats Angie Craig, Dean Phillips, and Ilan Omar. They were all sworn in on Thursday. The 116th Congress has the most diverse group of lawmakers ever and includes more than 100 women. That's really what we're excited about and encouraged by that trend because we really want our democracy to represent all voices. Women are often seen as more compassionate and more sensitive to a lot of domestic issues that voters care about. Those sorts of advantages, I think, are here to stay. But Stephen Scheer says he doesn't expect there to be a big short-term impact since Congress is still divided. A Minnesota family is hoping this new year brings hope for their newborn. Vincent Holty was born in November with spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA. It is a rare genetic disease that causes debilitating and often fatal muscle weakness. With SMA type 1s, um they would basically tell you, you know, go home, love your child as much as you can because you won't have that much time with them. But his parents hope new treatment will lead to a breakthrough and a happy life for their little boy. I just don't want to have him bedridden the rest of his life, hooked up to machines. The family is hoping their doctor gets approval this month for a new treatment that has not yet been approved by the FDA. The Minnesota legislature recently added SMA to a list of conditions newborns are automatically screened for at the hospital. That's how the family learned of Vincent's condition. A GoFundMe page has been set up for the family to help cover expenses not covered by insurance. We have a link set up at KSTP.com. Up next, Brian Melendez and Kurt Zellers will join me for political analysis. And a new vision for this prime piece of property near the state capitol, the ideas for redeveloping it after this Sears store closes for good later today. When the Sears store opened near the state capitol in 1963, it was considered the cutting edge of modern retail with everything from shoes and clothing to furniture, appliances and automotive repair. The store closes for good later today along with most Sears stores across the country. Now the property could become a major new housing, retail, and office development in the shadows of the state capitol. The nearly 20-acre Sears property is the largest site for development near downtown St. Paul. It's got easy access to Interstates 94 and 35E and a light rail station a block away. Add it all up and... It's absolutely one of the big opportunities in St. Paul, I think in other region too. Peter Musty is the principal planner of the Capital Area Architectural and Planning Board, which oversees all development for several blocks in every direction from the state capitol building. Last month, the board approved a preliminary comprehensive plan for the area that will guide development. The vision is that one day this would become an urban village but an urban village with some spectacular views of the Cathedral of St. Paul in one direction and in the other direction, a great view of the Minnesota State Capitol Dome. If you imagine maybe 400 to um, 800 housing units um, on this part, part of the parcel alone, it would be mixed use. So either your housing or your office would all have retail and restaurants on the first floor probably, parking underneath. It would be huge. Paul Mandel of the Capitol Planning Board says building heights are restricted in the area, so the Capitol always remains most prominent. The urban village could bring back the days when this was originally a residential area. 
with a nearby vibrant business district with restaurants and offices and streetcars. How do we maximize this infrastructure that we've invested in at the, at, with the light rail here can, can really work. So yeah, it's, it's totally exciting. All of this land is now owned by a company spun off from Sears and they're now seeking developers. The Capital Planning Board expects to hear more specifics on redevelopment plans in the next two months. And joining me now, a couple of men who've spent a little bit of time in the shadows of the state capitol <laughs> and actually in the state capitol. Yes. Uh, Kurt Zellers, former Speaker of the House, and uh, Brian Melendez, former DFL State Party Chair. Thank you both for being here. Uh, we have a, a new legislature coming in, the only divided government in the country. Of course. You were once uh, Speaker of the House uh, in charge of the Republicans. What is what are the challenges that the DFL majority now is going to face in the House, even though they've got a, a sizable majority? Uh, it's just that, that sizable majority, the new people. You know, there are, uh, each election, there are consequences to, you know, folks either retiring or being unelected, which is a loss of institutional knowledge. And I say that in a nonpartisan way, people who have been there for a while. I used to go to Phyllis Kahn for ideas all the time because she'd been in the legislature for th almost three decades. That institutional knowledge is something that just to make sure you know how things run, to make sure you know how a bill goes, who to get authors from, just good mentoring at the Capitol. When you have that large of a freshman class, you're going to lose that leadership experience. I think it's nearly 40 people, so that's nearly a third of, of the House. Uh, that does present some challenges, especially in some issues that are controversial, like the gas tax. Well, challenges and opportunities. It creates a great opening for Tim Walls to be a bridge between the two houses and to bring them together to, to find a shared agenda. And what that shared agenda is going to be, we don't know yet because we're going to find out when he gives his inaugural address on Monday and then we start hearing uh, from some of the legislative leaders. But again, alluding to the gas tax, that is one of those issues that isn't necessarily Republican or Democrat. Uh, there are people for and against it on both sides, mostly against it, of course, on the Republican side. Yeah, it's a blue-collar issue, too, which is going to be very dangerous for the Democrats. You know, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, the working class in Minnesota that look at the gas tax, and it is a constant reminder, a daily or weekly reminder of this is what the government is charging you for a, a gallon of gas. So each time they go and fill up, it's not like your income taxes or a fee that you pay once a year. It's something that's a reminder each day. And it can be controversial for some of those new lawmakers, especially the new Democrats, that might be a vote they might be a little hesitant well, to take. Well, there is this argument that it's a regressive tax. Everybody pays it. It hits the poor as well as the rich, um, and it hits the poor harder. Uh, but the fact is that not only does every Minnesotan who drives on the roads have to pay this tax, every Minnesotan who drives on the roads has to drive on the roads. And if you, if you pitch the tax correctly, they will understand the need, what they're paying for, and how much their lives can improve if we pay for a better transportation infrastructure. And it is going to be all about how that gets pitched, by the, starting with the governor on Absolutely. down. Uh, speaking of uh, newly elected, uh, Dean Phillips, a uh, Democrat uh, representing the 3rd District, uh, one of the newly elected members of Congress. We have five uh, this year. Already, I mean, he wasn't even in office yet. <laughs> there was an ad that was released by the Congressional Leadership Fund, which, of course, is run by Republicans, reminding him that he once said this when he was running for office. Let's listen. Real quick, Dean Phillips, would you stand up to Nancy Pelosi? Would you vote for her to be the leader of the Democrats if you win this election? No. It's time for new leadership on both sides of the aisle. But with his very first vote in Congress, Dean Phillips caved to the party bosses.
And there you heard him say, yeah, he was not likely to vote for her, but then this week he did vote in favor of her. Uh, Brian, is that likely uh, to be something that dogs him down the road? Or I, I think not very much. I mean, everybody's watched the drama unfold for, the, uh, for uh, Nancy Pelosi's bid to retain the speakership. The fact is, this Congress is going to be in office for two years. And if they get a lot done, nobody's going to remember the first vote that got taken. And if they don't get anything done, then Dean Phillips is going to have bigger problems. But Donald Trump is not popular in the 3rd District. I'm not sure how much more popular Nancy Pelosi is. Well, absolutely. And, and the thing that Dean Phillips ran on is Eric Paulson was beholden to the party bosses, these mythical creatures that, not quality people like Brian, but other people <laughs> who run these party operations, and his very first vote, and the very first thing he did was beholden to the party bosses. So that kind of hypocrisy, especially because he really grounded into Eric, who and if everyone knows Eric is a nice person and a nice guy, to grind it in on Eric like that, it creates a hypocrisy for him that'll cover him the whole term. Real quickly, we're running out of time. Amy Klobuchar said this week in an interview with the Star Tribune that she's going to decide sooner rather than later whether she's going to run for president. Uh, how likely do you think is she to get into this race? Uh, I, I think the odds of her getting in are better than 50-50. She's been the most popular politician in this state for more than a decade, and it's hard to have numbers like that and not see a president when you look in the mirror. How successful could she be, do you think, as a candidate? I mean, I, I think it's great if she does, because it's always great to see Minnesotans in the race. Unfortunately, she can't get to the left of some of the characters that are going to be in the race. And I feel bad for her, because I think it'll be her trying to be something that's not her brand, which is working together, bipartisan. She's going to have to go to the left of the left of Elizabeth Warren. And I, I don't know where that territory is in the Midwest. Well, mark your calendars. Iowa caucus is just a year from this month. So. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Brian and Kurt, thanks for being here. Up next, Sarah Walker and Andy Brem join me for Face Off. We'll be back in two minutes. State Republican Party Chair Jennifer Carnahan has announced plans to run for a second term in office. Carnahan stunned a lot of party observers when she won the post just two years ago. Carnahan has been credited with helping to erase much of the party's debt and attracting President Trump to the state for some campaign visits. While Republicans did flip two congressional seats outside the metro in 2018, they lost two key suburban congressional districts along with every statewide race and control of the Minnesota House of Representatives. The Republican Party will hold its elections for party offices in April. And joining me now, Sarah Walker and Andy Brim. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Andy, let me start with you. You're very uh, closely aligned with the Republican Party. What does the party have to do to try to get through some of these headwinds that you've been facing? Republicans don't hold any statewide offices, no longer control the Minnesota House, and just three of the eight congressional seats. Well, clearly what we've been doing isn't working. I mean, the Republican Party is in a state of complete disarray, and so we need to build it back up. I mean, we need to focus on the suburbs. The Republican Party cannot be a viable force in Minnesota politics unless we do better. Right now, it's a disaster. I mean, we had fine Republican legislators wiped out, Eric Paulson wiped out. So how do we do that? We have to get back to our conservative message and get a little bit away from the Trump message. Jennifer Carnahan has done a nice job of running the party, but she has had a very Trump pro-Trump message, and that just hasn't played well. So again, I think we need to get back to our conservative uh, roots and speaking a message of competence. And it does uh, seem that there is some evidence that much of the disarray is emanating from the White House, from President Trump. And so Democrats have to be careful not to think that it's just their message that is getting them elected, but maybe a little bit of anti-Trump. 
Oh, I don't think there's any illusions about the fact that Trump played a big role in the state elections. But I would also say that a few things exposed the Republicans because of the Trump message. One has to do with the suburban women went overwhelmingly for Democrats. And I think it's going to be difficult for Republicans to go back and pick those voters up. The other thing is, I think they have to look at things like reasonable gun safety measures. So they can't say no to every proposal that has 80 plus percent of Minnesotans supporting it. And I think, and the other thing is, is the suburbs are getting increasingly diverse. And Republicans at some point were interested in reaching out to communities of color. That message seems to have ended, and part of that again is Trump. And I think they have to get back to that if they want to ever be competitive again in Minnesota. And if President Trump is on the ballot again in 2020, uh, what, what's the likelihood that those suburban women are going to come back to the Republican Party? Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I agree with Sarah. The Republican Party does have to do a better job of reaching out to women and reaching out to people of color. I agree with that. There are issues like school choice, other things that would be great for us to get behind and talk about again. We haven't done that for a long time. I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how things go in 2020. We'll see how the economy is. But clearly, President Trump does not play well in Minnesota. And that's understandable. He doesn't play well with me. And, and speaking of women in politics, Amy Klobuchar, as we talked about in our last segment, uh, talking about making a decision soon because Elizabeth Warren has taken some concrete steps. And she realizes if she's going to get in, she's got to do it relatively soon because everybody wants to, in the Democratic Party, wants to go after President Trump. What's the likelihood Amy Klobuchar gets in? I fully expect to see her get in the race. I mean, and I think, one, it's always great to have a Minnesotan in the race, but I would also just say, though, that she has some huge advantages. One, she's been a relatively uncontroversial person, but is super vetted. And so I think she'll have that going for her, but I also think she's going to have to reach out to some of the new progressives, which I think is going to be difficult, and I also think she's going to have to reach out to community of color because she, again, hasn't spent a lot of time in those communities. Do you see her being competitive in a 2020 presidential race? I, I don't. I mean, I think Amy Klobuchar is a fine person. I think given the amount of time she's had in the Senate, her record of success is pretty low in terms of legislative accomplishments. But again, her major selling points are kind of competence and being qualified. Those two things just don't seem to matter that much in politics these days. So we'll, we shall see. It's good to see Minnesota in the news, but I also haven't heard much talk about her other than in the Minnesota media. All right. Andy Brem, Sarah Walker, thank you both for being here. Happy New Year to both of you. Up next, we pay tribute to the late, great wrestling interviewer, Mean Gene Okerlund. An icon in the world of professional wrestling passed away this week. Legendary interviewer and announcer Mean Gene Okerlund died on Wednesday. Okerlund's career began here in Minnesota, working with Jesse Ventura in the American Wrestling Association and the old WWF. Former Governor Ventura even coined the nickname Mean Gene. Okerlund then went on to work for the WWE and interviewed top wrestlers like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, and the ultimate warrior, Okerlund was 76 years old. He will be missed. we like to see what you have to say about Ad Issue. Send us your feedback and let us know what issues you'd like to see on the show. Just write to Issue at kstp.com. You can listen to episodes of Ad Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the Ad Issue page at kstp.com. Happy New Year, everyone. We'll see you again next week.